Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, October 2nd, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. For more than 100 years, Emory University's Goisueta Business School has been a training ground for principal leaders and a laboratory for powerful insights. Whether you're looking to accelerate your career or make a career pivot, Emory's one-year and two-year full-time MBA programs prepare you for a lifetime of career confidence. Learn more about Emory's top 20 MBA with top five career outcomes, offering world-class academics and small-by-design classes delivered in a dynamic, global city. More at emory.biz clearadmit. So it's October, a uh, really good month, one of my favorite months because it's I like Halloween, but also it's the baseball playoffs begin, all that kind of stuff. But um, what about on the NBA side? It's kind of an exciting time with respect to admissions news, right? Can you give us the update? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're seeing more application deadlines for round one um, coming through this upcoming week. It's McDonough, um, Tepper, Foster. Goizetta and Anderson um, have their round one um, application deadlines. Cambridge Judge actually has a round two application deadline wow. coming up next week. So they're moving right along. Interview invites are starting to um, come out. We've seen a few already for programs like Tuck and Kellogg and Yale. Um, but um, the, big, the big one this upcoming week is going to be Harvard. They're, they're releasing their round one interview invites on Wednesday. Um, so that's, you know, they're one of the programs that release all their um, decisions at the same time instead of trickling them out, which is, I think, the best way to do it from a candidate's perspective. Um, it's very transparent, very um, straightforward. Um, and, and, and yeah, so Wednesday of next week is going to be a big, big day for, for MBA admissions. Wednesday of this week, right? Yes, sorry, we're this gonna, week, yeah. this upcoming week, I should <laughs> we're say, recording, yes. Because yeah, yes. we recorded in advance a little bit. But one of the things that's also going to happen on Wednesday is we're doing our monthly Clear Admit Plus webinar. Uh, and that's a chance for you know anyone tuning in or anyone on our site who's a registered user to kind of come and hang out with you and I and talk admissions. And I think we're going to focus pretty heavily on interview strategy, like how to interview with these top programs, as well as round two applications for people who are targeting round two. Uh, and then finally, just kind of an ask me anything kind of format where we'll take questions. Uh, it so happens, Alex, that I, I think HBS is going to be releasing interview invites around the same time <laughs> that we're going to be doing this webinar because it's uh, Wednesday at noon Eastern. So I, I don't know exactly what time HBS does their um, interview invites, but I, I feel like it's around that time. So we'll, we'll see. It could be a pretty exciting event. Um, so please come out. You have to sign up in advance. You can do so on our website. Um, just go to the, you know, re you register on our website, go to Clearmit Plus, and you can see that there's a little button for the webinar series and you can just sign up there. So please join us. Those are usually a lot of fun. Yeah, very good. If nobody shows up, we'll know they're just waiting for their Harvard <laughs> interview invite. Yeah, or if you know if someone gets an invite, they can come and ask us a question about like what do they need to know to, yeah. to excel uh, at their interview um, at HBS. Uh, speaking of like admissions advice, we did run 
two admissions tips on the website in the last week. One was about letters of support, which I'm guessing a lot of people have no idea what that is even, but it's sort of like an informal recommendation letter. Uh, there's a video in the Clear Admit Admissions Academy where you and I talk at length about letters of support. So definitely watch that. Um, it's linked in the admissions tip on the site. And then the other tip we ran was a tip that's called five interview questions that you need to ace. And again, we have, I think, at least one video about this in the Admissions Academy you can watch too. Uh, so you can get this in all formats, whether it's you know written or, or video. Uh, and, and again, we're going to talk about this on Wednesday at, at our um, webinar too. So definitely, it's interview season's kind of upon us. With HBS releasing their invites, that's kind of really the big, you know, the, the floodgates kind of open from here on. It's going to be a lot of interviewing for the next month or maybe even six weeks. So we will see. Um, Alex, the other thing we've been doing is we continue our admissions director Q&As on the website. So we caught up with Eric Askins at Berkeley Haas. Um, Eric's a real, uh, just a great guy. He came on the show when I was out at the GMAC conference. Some of you may recall him doing a short little uh, <laughs> a snippet with me. He's also been been on the show as a, um, as a guest uh, for an admissions director Q&A. Um, but we did a, a kind of written interview with him that is on the site. And I just want to share one thing that he mentioned um, about essays, because I just thought it was really uh, a, it's such a succinct kind of summary of what makes for a great essay. So he says, a strong essay has three parts. One, an experience or event from the candidate's life. Two, the why. What did you learn from the experience? How has it impacted you? Why this example over others? And then number three, how it relates to the overall narrative of the application. Essays that do this, these essays are the most interesting <laughs> to read and to get a sense of who the candidates are as individuals. So I thought that was a pretty good um, kind of piece of advice from, from Eric at Haas. Yeah, I love it. Really good. Yeah. And then we also caught up with uh, Teresa Pero Camaro, uh, who is at INSEAD. And, you know, she said, this is kind of just an interesting, we ask all the schools about their stance on, on kind of standardized testing. And here's what she had to say. She said, INSEAD does not offer exam waivers for any of our degree programs which require a test. We accept GMAT or GRE scores for our MBA and our MIM and the executive assessment for our um, you know, executive master's in finance and executive MBA programs. She said, INSEAD programs are shorter and very intense academically since we need to cover all of the core courses and electives in nine months. Therefore, we need to be reassured academically before we offer admissions to our candidates. So I think that's, a, I mean, I, I hear what she's saying. It's a pretty strong stance, but I, I get it. I mean, you're going to, you know, those programs are noted for their intensity and kind of academic rigor. So... I get why they're not doing waivers. Yeah, it's a really strong stance. It's a really important stance. And it's a stance that every top school had before COVID. So, <laughs> you know, it yeah. shouldn't, this should not be an outlier in, in my book. Yeah. And, and I will say there are a handful of top programs that still absolutely require, whether it's Yale or, you know, Chicago Booth or Harvard, Wharton. But it, it is, um, yeah, we've seen some, you know, <laughs> some changes in behavior. Uh, the other thing, Alex, that we did is we profiled the, so there are all these class of 25 uh, profiles out. And so we continue to cover those on the site and try to highlight, you know, nuance and, and any changes. And so the schools that release their class profiles for the class 25 are Harvard, Tuck, Yale, and Kellogg. So we have detailed statistics and comparative stuff up on the website. I'm not going to break down each of them, but I did want to tell you, um, Alex, with HBS, 
Um, this incoming class that started this fall is 938 students versus 1,015 students last year. Um, you and I talked about this before we came on air, but we believe that's intentional. They're kind of beginning to downsize after a period of time where they'd kind of um, let COVID admits defer um, a couple years. And so, so they're getting back to kind of their normal size. Um, their GMAT average was 740. That's actually up from 730. Their GRE average 326. 39% of their student body is international and 45% women. And those numbers are all fairly consistent other than that little GMAT bump. Um, things have been pretty consistent at HBS. Again, slightly smaller class, but that's due to some folks that they had allowed to defer during the COVID years. Uh, any, do we yeah. do we know the application numbers and how they compare to, to last year? Um, I... You know what? We probably do. I don't think I have those numbers in front of me. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it's in the article and I think they were down slightly, but not a ton. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, so, Because to me, if you look at HBS, they're the biggest program at the top of the heap, right? I mean, obviously Harvard and Stanford, followed by Wharton in my book, are, are, the, are the top three programs. But Harvard is the bigger, clearly, of, of Stanford, right? Sure. So to me... Um, you know, the majority of, of the very best candidates will be applying to Harvard. So it's a really good um, benchmark to see, well, what was the applicant pool like at the very top of the food chain right. this season? So if Harvard ap applicant pool was down, let's say 5%, I don't know if it was, but let's say 5% just for the sakes of, of, of my thinking then to me that means that the top-tier applicant pool was down 5%. Yes. Or it's a good proxy for what's happening at the very top of the end, end of the, the market. And I think you're exactly right. The, the downward dip in the class size was deliberate because I think they did defer candidates over the last couple of years um, and so forth. So it's good to know that Harvard's app pool didn't drop um, significantly, and and that should that that that's to me says there were lots of strong candidates in the pool last year. Agreed. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is um, I just pulled up the numbers. So they had they had eight thousand two hundred sixty four applications um, last year, uh, and this past season they had eight thousand one hundred forty nine. So it's a difference of about one hundred and fifteen applications. So they were down ever so slightly. I think it's like, is that like 1%? So it's not, it's not a lot. Um, it's, you yeah. know, so, so yeah, so holding pretty steady and, you know, I will say I have some, you know, early data points from some schools who've been kind of off the record with me telling me that volume is, um, is up a little bit in round one this year. So I think we're, you know, it's, I think, you know, stable and up or what I'm hearing. I haven't heard anyone say like, oh, we're way down or, you know, we're, we're off this year. So nice. we'll see how it goes this season. Um, the other schools, I just wanted to kind of point out, you know, with Tuck and Yale and Kellogg, things are pretty stable um, across the board. I did want to note that um, it's so interesting. These schools, some of them use slightly different metrics. So with Tuck, they say they have 33% international, but I think for them, there's some, they're, they're not counting them in the same way, right? So for them, international is someone who is not a dual citizen, but is just purely international non-US. Um, whereas in the case of Yale, they indicate 50% international, but that includes people who have multiple nationalities. So I think um, 
it's it's a little it gets a little confusing. Um, but again, most of these schools things are pretty stable. Uh, you know, at Yale there was a slight downtick in the GMAT average. It went from seven twenty five to seven twenty. Uh, but at Kellogg and Tuck, pretty stable, 731 at Kellogg, 726 at Tuck in terms of GMAT averages. I will say we do see some pretty interesting discrepancies when it comes to the way schools use the GRE, in my view. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, at Yale, the average GRE is a 330. Um, that maps fairly closely to their 720 GMAT average in terms of how people do who take both tests, where, where they often would land. Um you know, whereas when we look at some of these other schools, you know, even Harvard and Kellogg, their average GRE is 326, uh, Tux is 322. So I would argue that in some instances, I think schools are using the GRE to um, to let people in who maybe didn't wouldn't have done as well on the on the GMAT, and so. I think some things happen with your averages when, you know, if, if, if people are steered towards the GRE and, and then the people who are taking the GMAT are the high scores, that's going to help your averages and stuff. So it's just, it's an interesting phenomenon that we always talk about. Yeah, it does. It does seem like for some schools, it's a bit of a backdoor. Um, yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is a 322 equivalency on, on the GMAT? It's probably... 680 or something i, I, mean, I think I, so yeah. I, i'm just yeah. that, that's a complete guess but certainly tox um average gmat score isn't going to be a 680 so um, right right what i am seeing though graham this season on apply wire are quite high, higher gre scores than i've seen in the past on aggregate mm-hmm. so i think that's quite interesting too i think because more of the pool is taking the gre i think more of the the candidates that are good standardized test takers are also taking the GRE, yeah. which ultimately then would drive that average up um, and make it more at par with the GMAT. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it sort of plays out. Yeah, but, uh, yeah but, it's fascinating. It is interesting in that Yale seems to be, you know, now for a couple of years in, in, in the row, reporting the highest average GRE score amongst schools that we see, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah. And they're you know I mean, they have a really rigorous admissions process, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I, it makes sense yeah. to me as to but in terms of how they their do. Their GMAT dropped, as you noted, but their GRE is three thirty. I think you said Harvard's GRE was three twenty six. Yeah, exactly. So it's just fascinating. Uh, last if, thing: if you're taking the GRE, folks. Apply to Harvard, don't apply to Yale. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, we'll see how this all kind of plays out. And actually, speaking of all these tests, I'm actually going to be sitting down with the kind of head of product development at GMAC, um, having him come on the podcast. We're going to record an episode about the new GMAT exam. So I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about the the new test and you know because it's really quite different in a number of dimensions and and we can talk about you know some of the I have a question that I'm going to ask him about you know how right now if you miss like one question on the math your percentile goes like way down you know because I think it's been kind of it just it's sort of reached its natural conclusion where everyone aces the math section. And so I, I'm hoping that with the new test, there's a lot more granularity and that they kind of re, rebalance the curve, you know, if you will. So right. we'll yeah. see how, how it goes. Yeah. Um, last thing before we talk about our candidates this week is that we've kicked off our Real Human Students series. Um, and the first school that we featured this year is Wharton. There are five students um, who we kind of sat down with. I love these pieces. I mean, each student has, a, they have to answer a whole set of questions. They got to give us a, a kind of serious photo and a fun photo. Uh, and they talk all about how they chose the school they're attending, 
um, you know, what, what they want to do with their career, advice they have to people applying to that school or just in general for the application process. So these are some of the more popular pieces that we run on clearedmit.com. And I'm just so happy that we're back around to, to the, you know, the new season. And yeah, we kicked it off with Wharton. So check out that piece on the site. And there are many more to come. Lauren on our team told me she's got like a whole bunch in the hopper. So they're going to be coming out fast and furious now. And and anyone targeting Wharton, these are must read. So you know, as we do these for all the other programs, um, as you're really trying to assess your fit for the programs that you're targeting or trying to describe your fit yeah. for the programs you're targeting, reading these real humans pieces um, for each of the programs is a great way to understand, um, you know, the, the, the quality of the, the, the folks that are there and what they're doing and what they're about and so on and so forth. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, in other news, please uh, reach out to us, write to us at info at clearedmit.com. If you have any questions or just want to say hi, use the subject line wiretaps and we will write you back. Uh, Alex, anything else before we talk about our candidates this week? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. Our first candidate has eight schools on the target list and is looking to begin school next fall. Um, the schools are Dartmouth, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago, Wharton, and Yale. Um, this person's career to date has been military, um, and in fact, their current job is medical evacuation helicopter pilot. Uh, and they want to ultimately get into consulting. They'd love to go to a BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey. Um, those are some of the firms they name. Their GRE score is a 324. Their GPA is a 3.69 out of, I believe, West Point. Uh, they're located in Texas. Um, this is an older candidate. They, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why that is, but they've had like 11 years of experience um, because I think they enlisted out of high school, then um, transferred into one of the service academies, West Point, um, finished that, and then back at work again in the military. So a little bit of an older candidate. They'd love to land in the Northeast of the U.S. after business school. Uh, and, you know, they, again, lots of um, accolades and, and accomplishments, both in the military, but also they do a lot of volunteer work. They're a youth football coach. So they do um, they work with a therapy dog team. So there's a lot going on. The one thing I did want to mention is that this person is sponsored. So they will be, who, wherever they go is going to be paid for by the military. Um, and as a result, they have to return to the military for a couple of years and teach in, in the service academy um, and remain active duty. And then they can kind of start their career. So that's kind of the, the gist of it. This is actually someone who wrote to us as well on email. So we have a little bit more background. But Alex, what do you make of this? Because it's a very unusual case and, you know, pretty accomplished candidate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think th this is probably a really high quality individual um, in terms of, you know, their, 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 their military service, um, but also how far they've come, right? So their first generation um, college um, person, obviously, like you said, they they enlisted first, and then they went back to 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 a service academy, graduated as an engineering major with a three six nine, and you know that that's no 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 mean feat in of itself. They're a helicopter pilot, um, sort of medical evac evacuation stuff. That sounds really interesting. So I assume their military career itself um we'll 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 look really good you know strong wrecks and so on and so forth um 
nice level of volunteer experience. I mean, like you say, they're a youth football coach, therapy doc. I mean, they've just got lots of different sort of elements that would be like, wow, that's really cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, they, they, they just, quite frankly, Graham, they just seem like a good human being, right? Yeah. And I think they're, they, I think they were actually, um, this was in the email they sent, but I feel like the, that's 3.69 landed them in the top 10% of their class yeah. at West Point. So that's, you know, we know we don't see much great inflation at the service academies. <laughs> yeah. And I love that as a, yeah. as a first gen too, right? Yeah. Amazing. So, so, so to me, this is a story about how far someone's come, right? Um, so, so they, they've really looks like they've progressed really well, done really well and so on and so forth. Um, as you said, they, they're a little bit unusual in terms of their post MBA activity. They're, they're going to go back to the service and, and, and teach for a couple of years before they then, um, go off into the consulting world and so forth. And they already have 11 years of experience. So to me, this is the, the bigger challenge is, really sort of thinking long and hard about that post MBA track and if if things that they're targeting is is really feasible and doable. Um, are the firms that they're listing in terms of the consulting firms like um, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey that they list, are they going to be recruiting someone who's, you know, by that juncture they'd be probably in their late 30s or early 40s when, when they're being recruited um, in, into the private sector. So, so that, to me, is going to be a, a, a challenge. The rest of this profile looks really interesting. They're obviously going to have to justify at the top programs that they're targeting that sort of why now um, and their fit. Um, because just for older candidates, they're going to really need to show that they're going to fully engage and they really understand the elements of the program where they're going to be able to do that and 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 look forward to doing that and so on and so forth. But overall, Graham, I, I really, I, I think this sort of person I'd really enjoy hanging out with, um, but they've come really far and they've done very well as far as I can tell. So I think there's a, there's a lot to like here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... Um you know, every year there are a handful of older candidates who end up at places like Harvard, et cetera, right? So it happens. Um, this is kind of an extreme <laughs> case when you think about the fact that they wouldn't be, as you say, kind of heading into consulting until they're in their late 30s or something. So that may pose some challenges. I do wonder to what extent they can think specifically about their kind of plans because they, they mentioned kind of an interest in healthcare consulting. And so I feel like there are some boutique firms out there that would have no problem, you know, taking a slightly older candidate. And so I just, I, I, in an email I wrote to this person, I encouraged them to think really carefully about their career plan because that could help too. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm hoping somebody gives this um, person a chance because again, great grades um, in a challenging major from an excellent school. The GRE 324, okay, it's a couple ticks below the average at um, HBS um, and, and further below what we see at Yale. But, um, you know, really strong GPA, really quantitatively rigorous <laughs> undergraduate major. So I'm not so worried about that. Um, I think this is going to come down to, yeah, why now? And a sort of specificity around goals and how they're going to make that kind of transition from teaching at the service academy into the private sector. Um, but again, I, I really like this candidate. As you say, probably he seems like a really good person and has done a lot of um, impressive things. Might you encourage them not to go back to the 
that teaching gig and take the risk of, you know, yeah, I guess not getting that sponsorship, doing the MBA, um, and 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 going directly into the private sector. Right. So assuming that they, I mean, I don't know what their sort of service contract is with the military, right. but if they if they had the option, like, oh, I could go to Harvard and then just start working. Um, yeah, one could make the argument that those three years that they're going to spend teaching are, you know, that there's a big opportunity cost there and that it may, you know, so yeah, that's something to think about, but I don't know how that process works for them. Maybe they kind of have to declare it at the outset and they, they can't really go back, but yeah, that is an interesting point that you're making because they could start their career and, and that kind of high earning power way sooner um, if they were to just go to business school. Yeah. Cause we, we saw that quite a lot when I was at Wharton Yeah, is folks would come in, they'd be sponsored by their firm um, then they would go and you know, maybe do an internship <laughs> elsewhere just for the fun of it because they had that guarantee right. of, of being sponsorship. But then they get distracted and decide, all right, I'm going to give up my sponsorship yeah. and I'm going to go and, and, and recruit. So, so in, the, in the private sector, that process does happen and it happens at, at some level. I, like you say, we don't know um, how that might work with, with the military. Um, yeah, but but the 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 key issue for 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 this candidate is obviously going to be that I mean we're not ageist here, but they're going to be further along in their in in their career in their opportunity cost as you mentioned. You know, you want a, you know twenty or thirty years of of a great career post MBA in the private sector, right? To yeah. to, to to make the most of it. So anyway, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's an additional thought. Yeah. So I want to thank that person for reaching out for for posting their profile on Applywire, um, and thanks for their service as well. So we'll we'll see how it goes, but best of luck to them. They can keep us posted. Uh, let's move on, Alex, and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So our second candidate this week, also applying right now to start in the fall of 24, this person has Columbia, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Booth, and Wharton on the list. And they've been working in oil and gas um, and consulting uh, related to that industry. Uh, they have a 710 on the GMAT and a 3.54 GPA. They've got five years of work experience. They're located in Houston. Uh, and they wouldn't mind kind of landing there, but they're open to other places in the kind of immediate post-MBA kind of time frame. Uh, this person's 27 years old, male, and they're actually of Nigerian heritage, although born and raised in the States, did undergrad in the States. Uh, I guess their parents um, came over from Nigeria is, is what I understood. Uh, they went to a top 10 engineering college for undergrad where they earned that 3.54. And in terms of their experience, they've had like three years as a petroleum engineer for a major oil company. Um, had to supervise teams and um, some field operations experience there. Uh, they also had done a year as a data analyst at an oil and gas startup and a year at MBB with an energy focus. So that's kind of the background in terms of, you know, again, all in and around the energy sector, but both on the kind of um, front lines, you know, doing kind of field operations, but then also with MBB doing kind of consulting work. Uh, they do a fair amount of extracurriculars in terms of, um, you know, they, they've got some leadership with an, engi an engineering organization as well as a Christian ministry. Uh, that was when they were, I guess, an undergrad. They do mentoring of local college students from underrepresented minority backgrounds. Um, they help raise scholarships for students in Texas. They're pretty active in their church. They lead Bible study uh, and they do some diversity recruiting at MBB. So that's kind of the, the basics here. Um, you know, they're just sort of wondering 
you know, what are their chances? And they do mention that in the long term, they would love to be head of strategy for a clean energy company with a focus on building energy infrastructure in Nigeria. Um, so, Alex, what do you make of this candidate? Yeah, another very strong candidate, I think. It's, it's, it's interesting when you look at this overall profile. Um, I think the weakest element of the profile is their GMAT, and it's a 710, right? <laughs> um, everything else just smacks of being a really strong, strong candidate. And that GMAT of 710 is, 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 is good. I mean, it's just going to be slightly below the median for the schools that they're targeting. Um, but, you know, they've got a, a decent GPA from an engineering program. Um, they've got experience in the oil and gas sector. They realized that actually they wanted to focus more on clean an energy. So they managed to exit, go to MBB, which, you know, you've got to be pretty high up the food chain to be able to do that, I would imagine, um, in terms of getting access to MBB. So they've done that pivot already. They, their goals are all in clean energy. And as we've talked about on the show, probably in the last month or two, you know, the importance of having leaders that are going to help us navigate this climate disaster that we're facing. Um, you know, here's a candidate that's basically raising their hand and saying, that's exactly what I want to do. Um, and, you know, you mentioned their extracurriculars. Again, they seem like a really good dude. They, they're sort of giving back to their communities um, and um, do, doing a variety of different things. Um, so, uh, you know, and I haven't mentioned the fact that they're, they're, they're a minority candidate, right? I yeah. mean, obviously, with the Supreme Court decision, I mean, that you can't just check a box and that all of a sudden elevates this candidate. Um, but nevertheless, they've probably had some life experiences that um, they can talk about in their in, in, in their profile that would 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 show you know some some additional sort of aspects to their candidacy that a, the, the 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 average sort of white male um, candidate wouldn't have. So I think, quite frankly, Graham, there's a lot to like here. If this was a 740 GMAT candidate, I'd be like, yeah, this is the absolutely top of the top top of the pile type candidate. Just slightly lower GMAT, but I think there's a lot else here. That, that'll help them overcome that. Yeah, I tend to agree. I guess to play devil's advocate, I do worry a little bit that because of that 710, um, and it's, you know, 3.5 is, is a solid GPA, but again, a little bit below average at some of the top schools that are on their list. So part of me was wondering... It is, wasn't art history, Graham. <laughs> no, it was in a really tough... I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was an engineering major. So I'm, I'm not... I guess I'm just trying to... When I try to really look at this with a critical lens, I'm like, is there a safety on this list, you know, so they have M7 schools in Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, and Wharton. And then they have Duke, which, you know, obviously many would argue another kind of top 10 uh, MBA program. And so I was just sort of wondering, do they risk kind of um, a wait list scenario as the school waits for them to maybe retake the test or, or are they just going to get in? And, and I think, as you point out, they have a lot of unique experiences to share. I think they've got, you know, a really interesting kind of cultural background. As you say, yeah. they, their lived experience is going to be different than, you know, some of the average candidates applying or something. So I guess I'm tempted to roll the dice and say they'll get in to one of these programs. Um, they have, again, making that move to MBB, uh, that's going to be a real feather in their cap too. So yeah. I think they'll be okay. I just, there was a little part of me that was like, ooh, you know, should there be a school that's like just in case? But I guess 
they can always pivot um, and and address that in round two if things haven't worked out. I don't know if they've already applied or not, or if they're mixing rounds. Or yeah, I mean, I I would argue, yeah, uh, was a very good program, but that in in the mix of their target schools, that would be their safety school. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. You know, that it is in the tier below the M7, which are all the other schools that they're targeting. Yeah, but I think to your point, maybe they should add Ross into or one or two in that tier rather than only one, because that, again, adds a bit of risk if you've only got one in a particular tier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, so, but yeah, I, I that to me, that the, the clincher is that move to MBB, that move now for experience in clean energy stuff yeah. to, to, to sort of set them up. So they're not coming from oil and gas and saying, well, I want to move to clean energy because I've had that epiphany. They've made that move. They've done it. Um, at an elite firm, I mean MBB's top, you know, elite firm. Um, so I really do like that, as you as you as you pointed out. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot to like. But we know, I think we both collectively agree that seven ten on the GMAT is their weakest um, Link. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of, of the pie. But it, it's still, I think, the, the overall package should be good enough, I think, for, for – for, well, I'm hoping it's good enough for the schools that they're targeting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it will be. I mean, one thing you're pointing out, I think, that we're both getting at is the selection process to join MBB yeah. is one that is highly respected, right? So yeah. it's sort of like they've already been admitted to – you know, MBB. And, and I, I feel like that that will work well in their favor. So um, yeah, I want to wish them the best of luck. And yeah, hopefully they're getting their apps in and um, making a compelling argument. I think their goals are really fascinating. You know, there's, um, yeah, a lot going to be, a lot of work to be done when it comes to energy, right? So uh, let's move on though, and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So our third candidate this week um, has five schools on the target list. Uh, they also want to start in the fall of 24, and the schools are Harvard, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago, and Wharton. So again, someone aiming, I mean, this person only has M7 schools on the target list. Uh, their pre-MBA career has consisted of project management in the oil and gas industry, so another kind of energy sector person. Um, they have a 710 on the GMAT, just like our last candidate did. And they have a 7.7 GPA. Um, this is, uh, they're, they're an international, I believe they're from Vietnam. And so the scale is probably out of 10. Uh, they've worked for a little over seven years. Um, and, you know, they, they've had a, a wealth of experience in the energy sector. They also mentioned they're a first generation college student. Um, they share the fact that they would be 31 when they matriculate. Um, next fall for business school. Uh, and they would love to get into working as like a portfolio manager in a renewable developer. They mentioned Orsted and GE as some companies they might target. In the long term, they want to return to Vietnam to work in the energy industry and help transform oil and gas businesses into renewables. So Alex, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but this week there seems to be a little bit of a theme here with you know, kind of the energy sector and moving towards kind of clean energy. Um, this person does have a whole bunch of outside activities. You know, they're, they're, they're active in their community. Um, but yeah, where do, you, where do you place this candidate? Because they're sort of between the first and the second candidate in the sense that they're a little bit older. Um, they have similar kind of GMAT uh, score to the, to the second candidate we discussed. So, yeah, how do you kind of think they're going to fare at these top programs on their list? Yeah, I mean, again, this is a strong candidate. 
as you point out, they're, they're only applying to M7, so they might need to spread their, their um, target school list a little into the next tier. Just, you know, if, if, if going to business school this season is, is um, what, what they um, want to do, and obviously with seven years' work experience, they're getting on, on the, uh, the latter end of that spectrum. So, so this year would make sense. They're 31 years old. Um, again, they, they've got oil and gas experience. They're still working in oil and gas. Um, so they haven't made that um, pivot yet like our prior candidate. So you could say maybe that's a little bit of a strike against them. But nevertheless, um, it looks like they've got really strong experience. They've done very well. They've got several promotions. Um, again, I like this idea that they're first generation, much like our first candidate. So that can, again, show how far they've come. They've, they'll have a bit more of a lived experience to talk about in that regard um, and, and so forth. So that should play really well um, with, with admissions. Um, candidates from Vietnam, I don't think they're necessarily going to be overrepresented. So they can bring a bit of a different conversation to the um to the to, to the table um in in the mba program um they're really going to need to um uh, demonstrate the fit and the why now because again they're slightly older candidate um and and so forth so that's going to be really important um but i'm i'm just i, I am i will admit i'm a little bit concerned with their school um, selection in terms of just I, I'd like to see one or two schools from the next tier um, just to spread the, the risk a little bit but potentially a very strong candidate again Graham. Yeah and I think um, the one thing that's a little unclear from their description is they talk about working one of their main kind of volunteer activities is with the Red Cross and they talk yeah. about how they volunteered for 18 months in the U.S. Um, taking care of blood blood donors before and after um, the donation process. So I just kind of wondered to what extent they've been in the U.S. because they indicate their location is Vietnam. I, pr I presume they're Vietnamese, but they do mention it as kind of a footnote that their family background has ties to the USA, um, I guess maybe via the via the Vietnamese Vietnam War. So it's sort of unclear to me. So there are some question marks that I would love to have a better kind of sense for. Um, but overall, I tend to agree with you that Super interesting career to date, very well reasoned career plans um, in a sector that is, you know, an interesting sector, oil and gas, renewables. Um, but the numbers, the 710 and the 7.7 GPA out of 10, harder to kind of say that they're a home run at, a, at some of the schools on their list. So, yeah, if I were them, given their age in, in particular, I would, you know, cast like a wider net so that yeah. they can make sure they land somewhere for next fall. Because um, there there are some schools that could definitely help them that are not on their list. Meaning, like you don't have to go to an M seven school to accomplish these kinds of goals. I mean, there are plenty of schools that are you know have like world renowned <laughs> reputations that you know are beyond the the, the small handful of the five that they have on their list. So, yeah, I feel like they're kind of overweighted. If you think of a portfolio theory here, they're a little overweighted on the top end. <laughs> so I I put you on the spot. I know we're running close to the end of the show, but Give us three programs you would recommend that they look at um, to balance out that portfolio. 
Yeah. So I was thinking about, um, you know, Ross and Cornell, um, you know, schools with kind of strong international reputation, obviously, you know, given the, the sector experience that they're interested in, I mean, you could think of a UT Austin McCombs, um, if they're, you know, trying to spread the risk a bit as well. Um, and part of me was kind of wondering about an INSEAD or, um, or an LBS, right? Because, uh, again, schools with great international reputations would easily allow someone to kind of work in these different markets. Um, INSEAD has that Asian presence um, with a campus in Singapore. And, you know, on some levels, both INSEAD and LBS can be completed pretty quickly. Um, I think yeah. LBS has like a 15-month option and, and INSEAD's program, as we talked about earlier, is like nine months, right? So, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that as potential options for them. I encourage them to explore that, you know, and get in some apps and see how it goes. Yeah, great options, I think. All right. So Alex, thanks for picking these out. Um, I always feel like it's just so much fun. I know why admissions readers love their job because you just get to learn about um, everyone's stories and <laughs> it's always uh, just fascinating to see what people have done. Uh, let's connect next week and do this uh, once again. But yeah, thanks, Alex, for all your help on this. Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.